0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Monster Zero Ultra of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka Great Set Bro. By the way, can we borrow your bass cab? How many of you used that one before? I've done I've done various like shitty local show related ones, but not mm-hmm. that specifically. All right, yeah, you'll run through every piece of equipment. I am
1: the black metal guy, A.K.A. Mickey's Dick Smasher,
0: <laughs> which I apparently was unaware of until we were just talking about it. Yeah. Like, just I, I like the way it describes it as obliterating the person's penis. You know, <laughs> it, it's. You know, it's a, you. You have to imagine the engineering required to build it within those tolerances to smash just precisely on the erect penis of the victim. Can yeah? Can you imagine the speed you need for obliteration? <laughs> I mean, yeah, obliterate like a, to, to disintegrate.
1: I heard Elon Musk. De- I heard Elon Musk designed one that sort of destroys it at the molecular level, triggering a nuclear explosion.
0: <laughs> oh, he, Elon Musk optioned the rights to it, and it's been in production hell for like fifteen years. <laughs> 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 it's realistically. Yeah,
1: I heard. The, I heard the original guy got ripped off too. I um, yeah, yeah. would
0: fucking assume, so. <laughs> he was only given mm. one blood diamond. Um, <laughs> All right, we are back. I know it's been a, a tumultuous few oh. weeks in terms of our schedule. Uh, black metal guy had to uh, is finally reaching the end of his like seemingly endless saga of insane work schedule stuff. So yeah, yeah, I'm
1: through all the the really hard shits. So I, you know, still some shit to do, but it's. Uh...
0: But your dick has Uh, been smashed at this point. (laughs) uh, My my dick has been smashed
1: again and again and again, and it's come out sort of uh, bigger and more tumescent than
0: ever. (laughs) Just just (laughs) sort of oppressively shining, (laughs) turgid and leaking. So, uh, we're we're back with a new episode, which uh, sort of accidentally has a uh, a regional theme to it, if you want to talk about that real quick before housekeeping.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I guess these are just both Detroit bands. So, uh, we have the brutal death band, Sophilic, who are kind of a... He, he, it's a one dude, and he's kind of a standard Terminus reference point at this point, because it's someone who... Whose work you've really admired for a long time, Death Metal Guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we either did an EP or a sample from them earlier on the show. Uh probably Did well, we listen to a whole record?
0: We covered the Metharoma record. Yeah,
1: yeah, year. Okay. We'll and Metharoma he's he plays on that guy. Yeah, he's it. the okay. for that one. Got it. Okay, and so this is his main band, right? I remember the Math Aroma cover. Always memorable covers, which we'll get into. <laughs> yes, um, we will. Really makes makes Mickey's Dick Smasher look like a cakewalk. <laughs> um, uh, and the um, uh, and the second one is by the uh, I guess loosely war metal band Perversion, uh, but it's it's war metal as sort of death and thrash metal, which is refreshing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and perversion is a very long running uh detroit detroit death metal band how many let me check their discography really quick because i feel like they've been um they've been on my radar for a while but uh yeah they've only had one full length before this which was storm of evil in 2013 so this is uh so getting the second one out the door is, is a big deal and um yeah, so we're gonna we have this kind of geographical theme, and um, you know Detroit Rock City. We're gonna so, see radically different sides
0: of Detroit here. Yeah, neither of which rocks in any way. <laughs> um, so, before we get into it, uh, the usual housekeeping, guys. Uh, for social media, you can follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. And then additionally, should you want to more and more unreliably released content, <laughs> you can subscribe <laughs> to us on Patreon. Uh, $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle that the black metal guy has finally rejoined after an extended absence. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're one of those guys who is like, you can't have the distractions. You have to like uninstall discord to concentrate on shit.
1: (laughs) Pretty much past a certain point. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it worked for a long time, but once it just got really, I, I, I'd got a lot of work done while being on discord, but past a certain point, I was like, yeah, I can't, if I have the, uh, you know, like. Just, just being able to click on YouTube is bad enough. <laughs> yeah. I, I am profoundly ADHD. Yeah,
0: apparently so.
1: <laughs> but now... Like, just not in, the obvi- not in the obvious ways, you know? So I, I kind of fell through the cracks of the system and, uh, <laughs> and had to figure it out the hard way in my late
0: 20s. <laughs> Unfortunately, they did not cram Ritalin into you from the age of six. Imagine mm-hmm. where you'd be now if only you'd had that opportunity. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, well, probably in a better band. Hey, it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse, and I'm Yoko. You're listening to
0: Terminus. All right, so, uh, first for tonight, the newest record by Sophilic titled And Justice for None, not to be confused with the Five Finger Death Punch album of the same name. <laughs> Um, this is released, uh, in kind of a convoluted way. I guess it's like independent, uh, Brian Forg releases most of his stuff through his own imprint that he calls Luxor Records, but it (laughs) seems like Brutal Mind had some sort of involvement in this. I, I, think they might just be helping him with distribution, but either way, um, he's selling it himself and it's sold through Brutal Mind, um. Sophilic is a project that I've mentioned a number of times on the show uh, that has had kind of a cult following for a lot of years. Like, people who are into Sophilic tend to be really into Cifilic. Um, And I've been following his work basically since the first record dropped in 2005, back when I was in high school. Um, and he's just really never stopped. And Justice for None, I believe, is the... Uh, ninth full-length record. You know, he drops one basically every one to two years these days. Um, And it's got a small but really dedicated fan base. Uh, So, Sophilic Plays, technical, brutal death metal. Uh, Probably the closest adjacent thing I could compare it to would be Insidious Decrepancy, which was another one-man drum machine-based brutal death band from Texas back in the day. Um, back in the like uh, early to mid two thousands, they were pretty well known in the scene. Uh, but Sophilix had a lot of staying power over the years, and uh, there's a lot of potential reasons for that. Um, we're gonna, I definitely want to take some time to talk about some of the more meta ideas of Sophilic, but i think we'll do that more toward the end because i think we both have things to talk about there because i think Sophilic is one you know it's an extremely serious project and i think it is very artistically relevant and i think that brian does things uh, aesthetically and thematically that a lot of brutal death bands could only hope to touch but let's at least for now concentrate on the music So, as we talked about in the intro section, last year we covered the Metharoma record, Pipe Dreams, uh, which featured Brian on guitar. And one of the things that makes Brian's music so interesting is a very idiosyncratic type of guitar playing. Um, I don't know if I could lay out exactly what a cephalic riff or a Brian Fork riff is, but he's a guy who has mastered so many different archetypes of brutal death riffs and arranges them so rapidly and so chaotically. Uh, there's just, you can tell there's a master's touch at basically every moment of these songs. Um, and I guess the most distinct thing about cephalic to try and bear out what makes this unique amongst Brutal Death is a sort of atmosphere of like paranoid tension and sort of like jittery nervousness. These are extremely fast, extremely complicated songs, Um, and the way Brian arranges them involves a lot of... Strange sort of looping of melodic motifs into themselves, sudden redirections in terms of uh, rhythm and melodic ideas.
1: The end Um, of one phrase will sort of like keep you know you'll take the end of one riff and it'll kind of just you'll have a very complex riff and then he'll take the end of it and sort of iterate it for a bit yeah, it,
0: it, yeah. There's, a, there's an almost stuttering quality where a new riff begins halfway through the previous riff uh it's just it's it's my sample's a different.
1: very good example for that yeah
0: well well so so i've given the general impression so you as the guy that doesn't usually listen to this stuff, what do you, what do you think of Sophilic now that you've gotten to actually hear what it sounds like, this band that I've been talking about for so many years? Welcome
1: to Detroit. <laughs> for every square mile of eerily majestic ruin, every square mile of gritty authenticity, every square mile of parasitic fancy restaurants staffed by hipsters eager to tell you how much they love the diversity, there are ten square miles of omnidirectional gritted misery Uh, blank boredom and, uh, occasionally punctuated by violence and abjection and not in the cool way. (laughs) And this is those 10 square miles. And
0: as with Detroit, I want to leave now. (laughs) I really did like that piece of writing in the notes. That's really solid. (laughs) But you seize on something important, which is something that occurs constantly through Sophilic's music and his lyrics is that this is about Detroit. In a very specific way. Mm-hmm. It is, uh,
1: yeah. You've and it's sort of all of his music is about aspects of the, um, the sort of the underbelly of America that he encounters in Detroit, right? Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the sort of very modern urban horror. Yes,
1: uh, and it is, yeah. It's like social realist death metal, but like sort of social. <laughs> Like, it sort of focuses on the most, uh, the most disgusting and sort of, uh, I don't know, sort of like heart-wrenching often extremes of it and exaggerates them to, or not, not, it doesn't even have to exaggerate very much, yeah, it just right?
0: presents it as it actually It just, is. Pre- <laughs> it just, it just finds the
1: natural extremity and it rubs your face in it over and over again, like, you know. Like getting your face rubbed in a pig's trough, which is one of the album covers. Um, <laughs> the, these are some of the most, these are the most intense death metal album covers I've, like, pretty much ever, right?
0: Yeah, like, Sophilic is, is notorious, mm-hmm. even in the brutal death scene, for being so far beyond the pale. Yes, uh, Sif- the,
1: we were talking about this before the show. It's like, it, they sort of piss off even other, he sort of pisses off even other brutal death guys, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, but, yeah, it's just, it's, it's awful it's truly awful. Yeah. But he he has the audacity to suggest that like serial killing is like bad and uncool.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and like to to realistically present what the uh what the exploitation of women and children is actually Mm -hmm. like in real life. Yeah. Well, it's like we've talked... Which
1: is not to say that most, you know, most brutal death metal bands are not sort of like saying these things are good and okay. However, there's a way of turning them into a template. Uh, You sort of abstract them and it becomes this sort of... uh, template for this lurid exploration of, you know, violence and sexual violence and whatever, right?
0: Yeah, Mm. yeah. Sophilic just presents it as it actually is, with the order intact.
1: Yeah, it's like, wow, these are the the, uh, most strange and bizarre symptoms of a society that's falling apart at the seams. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, we've talked on the show a few times about how thematically I've always been compelled in death metal when people reach toward this very sort of realistic sense of urban decay and like moral dissolution within the modern world. Like when we talk about fluids, you know, Mm -hmm. I've talked about that. The cornerstone of that, that got me so interested in that in a large part is cephalic itself and his presentation Mm -hmm. of these ideas. And he's been a tremendous influence on me aesthetically and lyrically as I've done my own death metal work. Um, Now, musically, what do you think about this? (laughs) Um, I mean,
1: I kind of said it. Like, uh, (laughs) the music is, like, if you are not a brutal death guy, this will be sort of a... um, It will be, like, just driving down block by identical block of just sort of uh, squalid and alienating landscape. Um, And... uh, (laughs) And it will, it will both be boring and anxiety-inducing. Um, and that's the point, and uh, I, I deeply respect that. I mean, that's how the death metal guy feels when I make him listen to Iljarn, right? Just in, just in a different way, right? Yes. It's just like, God, the forest is cold or there are wolves. Um, it's, it's you know, God, this is so boring. <laughs> it's, um, it's uh, um, the, the, like, it's, it, it's basically... Um, it successfully evokes the 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 thing it's trying to evoke and um as far as the you know like so yeah i mean we love deeply alienating music so obviously i respect this profoundly um musically like there is a lot of really interesting stuff going on it's just operating at a 90 degrees to my normal aesthetic values right um yeah, i get that the guitar work which you can get into like at times the sophistication in the guitar work at times is like, am I listening to, like, fucking Schoenberg? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, but Schoenberg, but good, right? I mean, like, it, it, it's like more, there aren't, like, showy, scronky chords or sort of, like, technically flashy aspects of this music, even though, as you've said, it's, like, extremely music, like, there's a really good musicianship here. It's just the way that the melodies are constructed is well outside the riff paradigm. And yeah, yeah. and they, they are, the way he generates, um, calling it dissonance almost isn't even fair, right? The way that it's just completely atonal um, is, uh, um, I don't know, pretty remarkable even for this genre. Like, you know, mm-hmm. melodies that truly sound like the world falling down.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, Sophilic is definitely on the edge of like legibility, uh, unless you've just listened to tons and tons of this music. And it, this is a record that, for me, to really start to pick up on the flow of the songs, took several listens. This is actually this is pretty intense, even for Cephalic. Um, just like the the sheer assault of musical ideas, and just how fucking fast and how twisting and turning these songs are. Um, so, for example, let's listen to uh, let's listen to the opening half of a song called Late Peaceful Drives. Um, and what you're going to hear here is half of the song is a head fake that sets up the back half. And you're going to have this series of churning blast-oriented riffs up front. And then like a minute in, things are going to start to fall apart in a bizarre way that requires all these insane rhythmic changes and full-fledged tempo changes it's it's fucking outstanding that this this song doesn't fall apart completely So that, uh, that last 30 seconds, those awful, like, gasping, speed-up, slow-down patterns that, that just seem to emerge in the middle of measures, um, I love that shit. Uh, that's, that's something that Brian does really well, is he creates these ornate, incredibly long, rhythmic figures. And you are completely right that this does kind of escape the riff paradigm. Like, it's. Where these riffs begin and end is, like, fucking indecipherable. Because just the, the intensity is so constant.
1: Yeah, and so on the back end of the song, I assume it just, like. That it just continuous slam.
0: Uh, no, it, it, it kind of, like. It opens up in a really weird way. It goes into a slightly more like melodic put together direction. You know, it's sort of taking taking that core sort of chord structure, that motif of that that really tense melodic figure that forms the core of that last like forty five seconds and elaborates yeah. off that.
1: Yeah. It's um Yeah. I don't know. That that was um you know, it's like, you know, like a lot of this stuff, right? It's it's when I'm making my... When I'm listening to it, like, now with you, all the way through on headphones, it's like I can hear a lot more in it than I did even, you know, when I was listening to it for the show.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, it, it really it's, requires intense focus.
1: The headphones, um... The... There's, you know, two, ch- he's, there are at least, there are like two guitar tracks, right? Yeah. The, 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 the left, right channel stuff is like meaningful. And some of the harmonic effects that come through as chording are actually harmonized guitars. Uh, mm. and, playing, and the, and the parts they're playing aren't exactly the same at all.
0: Oh yeah, and and the, the harmonies he chooses—he will never do like a fifth or an octave harmony. It's always some like really ugly, weird thing. I mean, the Schoenberg thing is like kind of accurate. You no, I feel it, like these are almost twelve-tone riffs sometimes. Yeah. Speaking of which,
1: well, unless you have anything else for that, let's go to the next. Part. No. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So this is lives for science. Um. This this riff is um. Well, uh, you'll hear.
0: fuck (laughs) (laughs) he's chosen just the worst intervals possible (laughs) well not just that it's dizzying right it's that
1: is impossible to count um, yeah,
0: well, it's, I mean, it's like what I was saying, you know, the idea of, like, he's doing this hitching thing where riffs end in the middle of a repetition, and then they're spinning yeah, off. Yeah,
1: so the, the clearest example is right at the beginning. There are three iterations of a brutal death riff, right, that you can basically follow, in it's mm-hmm. sort of a cool, complex riff. He he lights into the fourth, I believe. Maybe it's even the third. But I think it's he lights into the fourth, and he gets a little bit of the way through, And then it just turns into another riff. And when it does that, it's not like it's finishing out the riff in an unexpected way. The time signature changes immediately. And he does that over and over again, sometimes after just, like, one rep. And so you end up, like, you have these two initial little, I guess, things that kind of are is a riff, repeated twice. And then the rest of that, you know, the, the, the next, like, 40 35 seconds is just continuous um snaking uh melodic runs that don't really there there's things that kind of sort of repeat in it but uh you can't you can't pin it down at all. It it just turns out to be one really really long horrible melodic phrase.
0: <laughs> it's um. It, it, I think you
1: get at the end you get one thing. You get one iteration of a turnaround thing he starts doing and he continues doing that. He takes basically you get the a thing that sort of like seals off the phrase like a coda kind of thing. That's where we ended it, and then he starts playing that as the main riff for like a number of repetitions. But like. It the stuff before that is just like dizzying. And at first, I was like, wow, this is really, you know, like it's like, wow, that is basically unlistable, but it's also jaw dropping. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, it's a the the overall effect that you'll get across this whole record is like it feels like the CD is skipping almost. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he keeps he keeps going back in time just, like, one and a half seconds, picking up an idea and then running with it. it well, the, thi- the thing that's really confusing about it, though, is that it's not spazzy. No, it's not.
1: Like, like, it's not stop, start at all. That whole phrase has a liquid continuity. You know what it's like, honestly? Like, it's like antediluvian.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But those are sort of more, like, there's a more black metal sensibility there, and there's kind of, um, I don't know, I get the sense they're written differently. They don't have this sort of, uh, I get the sense that those are written as one long, strange, eerie phrase, whereas this seems, there's actually some sort of bizarre cellular nesting writing happening here. It's just that us mere mortals can't follow it.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's almost uh, as though it's almost as though Brian takes some of the conceptual ideas of like the Oscar Ortega style, you know, from mm-hmm. like uh, molecular fragmentation and stuff. That yeah. that sort of microcellular micro riff thing that he does, mm-hmm. um, but he's he's just he's using that to chop up these longer phrases. Yes, he's using them as
1: parts in mega phrases.
0: Yeah, it's. Oh. That's the that's one of the interesting. I mean, you talk about the initial just like bracing effect of listening to this, and how sort of dizzying and crazy it is. But then when you actually sit and listen to it closely, it's even crazier. When you start yes. realizing the, this this matryoshka doll of riffs mm. looping into themselves on the fly, yeah, it's it's fucking crazy. You,
1: you <laughs> could call it the chest burster method of riffing. <laughs> Like, you'll get a that. phrase, yeah. and then it's just like, whoa,
0: it's something else.
1: It's like The Thing as riffs. <laughs> like
0: Yeah, and I, I've started, you know, one thing I've always been interested because I've read a few interviews with Brian, and he's never really talked much about influences or anything. But listening to this record, I think I've started to realize, oh, later Cryptopsy is really important here. St- uh, records like And Then You'll Beg and uh, some of the newest stuff they've been putting out. That is one of the only places I've seen similar sort of riffing concepts emerge. And then some of the r-
1: slow stuff sounds like immolation.
0: Yeah, I could definitely But, see like, that, the
1: most know. abrasive immolation.
0: Yeah, definitely some of the cording has to mm-hmm. be taken from, like, immolation and gorguts. Well,
1: I think the rhythmic stuff on the slow stuff is, like, uh, this is kind of, like, lurching. Yeah, his, his complete you know, like, refusal yeah. to engage with groove is... <laughs> yeah, the sort of rolling... Yeah, there's a kind of heaviness to the slow parts, but they don't groove. Yes, there's this kind of roiling, rolling, tom phil to them that's kind of kind of immolation like i remember once i said like could immolation actually be one of the weird reference points for brutal death and you said like well not really it's more like suffocation but like this is a band where i think some of the most slow the obtuse down tempo stuff is a lot like immolation at its most obtuse
0: no i can i can definitely see that it's it's Mm -hmm. interesting Because, you know, just just because of his location, I would try to link this to sort of the Midwestern style of Brutal Death, you know, kind of the United Guttural bands and shit, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure that he listens to. But this really doesn't resemble any of them in any meaningful way. I mean, at this point, Sophilic is just like it is a a, (laughs) an evolutionary branch of its own. You know, and it's, it's almost mm-hmm. impossible for anyone to, like, recreate the necessary steps to, to do this. You know, it's like before we got on, I was I was talking about um, Brian's very humble about himself as a guitarist. He says, yeah, I don't even really I, I fucking suck at guitar. It's like I don't even know what I'm doing. But there's a story that uh, he mentions on his own website that the second record by Sophilic Behind Bars he wrote while he was in jail. And this was not a Varg thing where they gave him a Casio keyboard. He just wrote the whole thing in longhand on paper, and then recorded it when he got out. So clearly, there's mentally, there's a completely different process going on uh, Yeah, in the creation. I mean, system. that's he,
1: insane. He, well, yeah, he's described it. Well, he's you didn't just... tell them the beginning of the story, or is that like scene gossip? Is that like... Well, is it's that like, like... I,
0: I, I was trying to look up that interview, and I couldn't find it. I remember it very distinctly, but in the interest of not perpetuating something that I might not be remembering correctly, Understood. No, I'll leave that out. Um, but yeah, so he wrote it entirely on paper, and one of the interesting things is he's described his process of writing music. He says, I don't like... Um, I don't, like, jam riffs. I don't, uh, like, sit there with the guitar and kind of, like, feel things out. He says, for me, writing Cephilic is, like, almost a purely mathematical process. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, so it is Schoenberg. Yeah, it is kind of <laughs> Schoenberg. It, it, he's just, like, he's he's refusing to engage with the, quote-unquote, musical process in any way that we would typically understand. <laughs> like, so, um, Another sample I want to play, so this is off, I think this might be my favorite track on the record. This is called Vanishing Act from about halfway through. So this was extremely hard to pull a sample from because this whole song hangs together as such a a perfect unit. But here's where we're going to hear some of the ideas of later Cryptopsy come out. And there's a really interesting thing that happens on this song where there's a single melodic phrase that I believe might actually be a Cryptopsy reference from one of their newer records. Um, And he uses this melodic phrase as a sort of pivot point between different acts of the song, so to speak. So let's listen to this section. Let's see if you can pull out that phrase that, like, indicates we're moving to a new movement. Okay,
1: so like... uh... A repeat phrase that's going to signal transitions. Yes.
0: I guess that is kind of the hit single of the record. That's a banger. No, I was gonna sample that one. Oh yeah, that is the banger. Like if you did a record
1: of all tracks that sounded like that, it would be extremely brutal. But it would also be like, uh, uh, like it would be. (laughs) Yeah, list. It would be yeah, but I don't want to like. It would be equally brutal. It would just be like. Listenable, which I get is not the goal on this record, but like I want to hear more shit. Like, if you did a whole record like that, I would like repeat listen.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I love this song and the whole thing. Like, this is the litmus test so, of the album. So, the yeah. so
1: the leitmotif thing you're looking at is like, yeah, yeah, exactly like
0: that. That. yeah
1: and he's like, <laughs> ch- yeah, moves it up. Yeah, yeah, that is, I hear how that's cryptopsy for sure. Um,
0: yeah, I think that's specifically. Uh, like a a reworking off of a theme from Two Pound Torch off the Cryptopsy self titled, mm. um, but yeah, so you'll hear he plays it a few different ways. He does variations on it, but it, it, they're the signal markers that transition into new musical ideas. But
1: and uh, in terms of Immolation influence, I feel like this song confirms it, right? Oh the yeah, really. But-
0: those super heavy pinch harmonic driven passages. Yeah. I can definitely hear that now.
1: Even the way that it's just a little bit closer to a conventional minor tonality, but still like tonally interesting and abrasive, you know, but yeah, there's like pummeling. Yeah. The, the jackhammer pinch harmonic thing with it filled into like, um, I mean, there's like sort of threat downbeat thrash. trem is like the basis of the slow middle part of the track and it's just crushing.
0: Yeah. And what's interesting though is like he's got this very deliberate resistance to to doing anything pleasing. Like he will not allow you to sit on that passage for too long. He's he's going to play one of those immolation runs like one and a half times and then he's going to smash it with some crazy nested blasting stuff.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, I think it works perfectly on this track. Like the thing is like there the groove is sustained there is groove on this track and it is sustained um, throughout every variation. Like, the the way he will, uh, yeah, if, the way he'll, like, just throw those pinch harmonic chugs and then just, like, break them up with this sort of, like, jackhammer, like, half-step root, half-step root shit. Just, mm-hmm. like, like, almost, like, hammer-on, like, Ben's I don't know. I'm not even using the right terms, but like, <laughs> you know, just like, you know, just like,
0: yeah. They're almost um, like thrash riffs.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, that's the brutal death thrash thing. This track, this track has it more than any other part on the record. For the most part, this is not thrashy brutal death, but um, I think like the fact that these don't repeat in the way that we would normally expect, or that um. A more kind of direct band like Immolation might repeat them. Like that doesn't matter. Like this is mm-hmm. a very heavy, very banging track. <laughs>
0: yeah, It's uh, it's it's definitely I think the centerpiece of the record. Mm-hmm. All right, so we on to the last one now. Uh, yeah. Because and this is I thought about sampling this one. This is odd. This is off the like hidden track basically. Hmm.
1: Yeah, which is like, I mean, I guess if you have it as mp3s, it's not very hidden. But um, it's just called Bonus. Um, uh, And it is... uh,
0: Well, it's like, that's what people are labeling. It's the end of Michigan, which is this like, it's a a song, and then there's this extended clean guitar piece. Mm Mm-hmm. And then this one kicks in. So I, I I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's maybe a reworking of an old song or if maybe this whole thing is supposed to be seen as one composition. It's hard to tell.
1: Yeah, I think the bonus thing is like, it's almost like a joke. Like, I think this is a serious track. Mm-hmm. Um, the clean guitar stuff is cool, right? I yeah, uh, mean, yeah. and for all his saying, he doesn't compose this stuff in a musical way. It shows he can just sit down and play almost kind of like you know it's just like moody kind of neoclassical like guitar noodler stuff
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah it's it's it, you know it's it's cool atmospheric pensive death metal guitar um and then we get to the uh then it sort of breaks out again and that's the part i'm going to sample first um and uh yeah let's let, let's just get into it at around the uh around the just under the five minute mark
0: It's interesting that he saves this one to like a basically a hidden track because it's one of the most kind of put together songs in a traditional way.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of the joke. Like it's not yeah. like a bonus track at all. This is like the centerpiece of the record in some way or well, this and the last thing you sampled. Um yeah, yeah. I think it's it's um I think you can tell that it's supposed to be one piece because the guitar phrase turns around right into the first riff of the track. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like, it seems like the first riff is derived from... It. Maybe he wrote the guitar... The Maybe he wrote the interlude after, but it seems like it's derived from it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like, anyone... It, it doesn't even count as a hidden track if there's a guitar at the beginning. Like, the, the real hidden track is like the... Um, I swear to fucking god, uh every time I finish this one Inquisition record, <laughs> like it it ends and uh oh yeah, the outro to magnificent glorification of Lucifer. It's just like silent with maybe some like staticky sounds and then eventually the volume spikes with screeching at just like way higher level than you hear and it just does that till the rest of the record and it just makes my it gets me every time <laughs> my hair stands on end i'm like what the fuck like you can't do that to me digga um or dagon rather um the uh no not to be confused with Dagathur, um but but um uh but yeah, this is um, yeah, this is like we're supposed to listen to this, and the um, that riffing there is the closest he gets to I don't know something like the more black metal and brutal death, right? Yeah. It's kind of like this sort of abstract behemoth or Nile thing that happens in in BDM uh, a decent amount, kind of more like the Oscar Ortega stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's some Phrygian stuff. But you still get the chest burster riffing in it. It is very, uh, it 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 just sort of like um, proliferates very rapidly. I've done some crazy doodles while doing this review, man. Like, um, (laughs) like just like you know, sort of like weird, vicious, biomorphic lines all over the place. It looks like the uh, the the ill-advised sleeve of a nineties nineties punk. But um, the but yeah, it is. Um, that part is really cool, and it just explodes out of out of the tranquility. Um, and then we lock into that slam, and you start to hear the samples coming in again, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Like, about like which uh, actually litter the whole record.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there were even some samples in the middle of it. At some of the most intense moment, there's like muffled samples. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of like muffled cries for help. Is a big thing throughout this. Yeah. Um it's, it's and. Charming charming and yeah you hear at the end something about an oakland county child killer right another girl missing um now let's listen to the end of this track where there's some more there's more outbreaks of metal and there's more sort of uh ambience and then we get to the end uh and um yeah we'll talk about it (laughs) yeah 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 Oh, wait, I, hang on. I accidentally switched the Inquisition track because I was trying to figure out what it was. That would be a very different review.
0: Um, <laughs> this individual with the DOJ just point blank said, you know what? You got a bunch of sick motherfuckers in Oakland County, and it is one of the wealthiest counties. And all I'm going to tell you to do is pay attention and watch your back. now we get to Sophilic as brutal death meta art. Basically. Yeah, a, p- a political band,
1: right? It's an um, extremely political band.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So, you know, Oakland County, Detroit sort of Detroit peri- like Detroit just sprawls all over the place. Right. So there are parts of Oakland County that are more urban and more suburban Uh, and you get the, um, and you get the suggestion of, you know, sure, there's all this, we can talk about the, you know, there, there's all sorts of kinds of violence in Detroit, right? There's obviously a lot of various kinds of crime. There's, um, police corruption as this guy talks about a lot Uh right he has that whole that the whole record in the what is it in the pen
0: there's in the pen and indicted states of america yes
1: very brutal covers um and the and then there's this which is this notion of the powerful preying on poverty right like in a city Uh where i mean in a city where like if you drive onto an off ramp. If if you go up like a clover leaf or something, you'll just see like zombies walking around, mm-hmm. like like literal zombies, people who are just like drugged out walking on the side of the highway, right? Um, and it's a city where people can go missing easily and never be found again. And you have uh, the suggestion here that they're like you know fucking um country club motherfuckers taking children off the streets, yeah, uh, and... which is extre- extremely heavy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and this is thematically something that Brian's really been exploring from the very beginning. Uh, there's like these these themes of uh, continuous sort of systemic exploitation of the the poor and the weak and the downtrodden uh, occur basically on every single record and are dominant themes of a lot of his work, um, even going back to the first one. Uh, if any of you are interested, you can read the lyrics to uh, Green Seed. I, I don't recommend that you do, but it gives you a good idea of where Brian's coming from. Um, it, it goes this is one of the few cases where I'll seriously tell people. it's like if you're interested in anything about Sophilic and you're listening to this at work, do not fucking look any of it up at all. Uh, just just wait until you're home guys. Um, I, I looked at most of the I'd already
1: seen some of the covers But I just looked at them all with Death Metal Guy Before the show and boy
0: It's out it, there yeah.
1: It's it's next, ne- absolutely next level Not yeah. because of like There's stuff out there that's like far more Gory and deliberately Sort of obscene and all sorts of stuff This is just all Profoundly disturbing yeah. And in, in part because It's always too real
0: Yeah, and I think that's one Mm. of the things that makes Cephila compelling. Uh, So one of the things that Brian's done, I'm a big fan of his lyrics, um, which, again, always revolve around sort of real urban horror. Um, But one of the things that has always been compelling to me is the idea that he sort of um, makes a deliberate effort to, especially on his later work, humanize the antagonists of these horror stories. Um, Really... He, he likes to emphasize the idea of uh, cycles of abuse and trauma perpetuating themselves through generations. He's got real fixations on certain kinds of violent crime, especially, like, family annihilators, you know, mm-hmm. usually father figures, you know, murdering their entire families. Um, and he really likes to explore the sort of, like, warped and like oddly sad internal psychology around this stuff. So while Sophilic is like without question one of the just aesthetically most shocking bands in metal, it comes from a position of like oddly intense sort of empathy and humanism, just articulated in the most extreme way possible, which I find really interesting. There is a a real moral core to this music. Um, despite just how grotesque it is
1: yeah it's a it's a jeremiad right he's, yeah yeah um the the at, hmm the sort of gutter prop he, he's taking on the kind of gutter prophet persona right uh yeah. sort of de- decrying uh you know sort of um decrying the collapse well the collapse of everything right um you know in terms of other sort of front men who take that on I would say like a totally different register in the music and mm-hmm. totally different thematic concerns but the uh, the crust band catharsis has always had that mm, okay. the front man instead of sounding like a sort of preachy crass guy he sounds like a um, even though some of the lyrical themes are sort of the same he he has this very compelling sort of uh sort of mad profit rabble rouser thing, right? Yeah. Um where he could like stir up a stir up a crowd to just like torch a skyscraper or some shit. Yeah. Right. It's um it's um and, and this this is a different version of that. And I think like the kind of character... we were talking before the show, like this guy's head must be filled with such... I mean, you know, Death Metal guy is like, in terms of the level of gore and um, <laughs> crazy shit this guy has actively sought out through culture and, you know, like uh, um, fucking, uh, you, you know, gore forums and whatever just over the years is insane, right? The Death Metal guy is the most intense consumer of... Um, just awful shit. Awful <laughs> shit that I know. Um and this is like this is far outstrips the death metal guy. The level of like horror that Brian Forg must carry around with him in his heart is like gut-wrenching. Um and you can tell it's like it's not like it's not like he likes this stuff, right? He feels it's like his calling and his burden to get to grips with it as much as he can and he has this kind of character of like the the sadhu or the um the deliberately like outsider taboo breaching priest who sort of like lives in the graveyard and is in close contact with excrement and like you know walks around naked and stuff and and he's like taking he's inhabiting the the darkness of his world and it's like it must be It's a very brave thing to do and it must be tearing him apart. to discuss a record themed around the Kali Yuga by Perversion from Detroit. This is Dies Ire, The Wrath of God, out on Hell's Headbangers. So, this is another Detroit band. Um, uh, you know, we just did the Sophilic, so Brutal Death, and now we're on to some other sort of, um, uh, sort of like deliberately dry, impenetrable, uh, brutal wall of noise stuff from detroit um and uh in a very different style uh this is um this band has been around for quite a while uh but this is their second full length so you know hopefully this is that sort of like coming together moment where they're able to like keep kicking it out from here but first demo was in 2009 as far as our scene goes, uh, very stable lineup, right? At least two, two of the main guys have been, been at it since 2008 and it's a trio. Um, there is sort of, as, as you noticed, there is a, a bit of a South American vibe to this music. And indeed the, uh, vocalist and guitarist Fernando Conde is originally from Venezuela. Um, and they've played with some, of uh, some South American bands. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so what what other context for this? I don't know. Um, you know i'm I'm from the Midwest, and I have uh, actually seen perversion once. Uh, and all I can remember is that it was good.
0: <laughs> it was loud. It
1: was loud, and there was a lot of whiskey. Um, a lot of whiskey that happened, a lot of whiskey that happened before the headliner went on. Um, I like
0: the, the, the refusal of ownership over the situation. Whiskey happened. It the, happened. The knife went in to the man. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Under um, its own power.
1: Listen, bud, when it's 11 bucks for a fifth, it happens to you. Um, <laughs> i been there.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, uh, oh, early times. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I think old granddad. But um, the... Uh, But yeah, so, um, this is, I think they sort of came out of the Detroit punk scene a bit or had some punk scene connections. Uh, the, of all the sort of nowadays American punk scenes, Detroit's has always been pretty cool, especially from a metal point of view. Um, you know, sort of, uh, kind of like what you would imagine it to be, right? A bit, you know, less moralistic, more sort of nuclear, uh, Nuclear Wasteland Rider aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of, like, like, sort of, like, um, Japanese crust aesthetics and metal punk kind of vibe. Um, wasteland Raider, you know. Yeah, it it, it, it it was a cool, it's a cool scene. And this band has something to do with those bands. Um, other notable bands, I think the most successful has probably been Shitfucker.
0: Do you know mm-hmm. them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. One sort of the guys on the Discord showed that to me at one point.
1: Yeah, it, it's cool. This is just like sort of uh, um, omnivorous, omnivorous extreme shock rock, right? Uh, um, there's Anguish, which was like an old band that I think hasn't been quite as active. Started as Crust, became more sort of like like punk, punk rock and roll, like apocalyptic rock kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a really good, pretty underrated uh, speed, basically like punk speed metal band, Called uh, Sekusu, which would be the the Japanese for sex, um, <laughs> in in the sort of like you know, um, sa- in the vein of sacrilege, but also the kind of Japanese metal punks, right? Uh-huh. Um, so it's a cool scene, but this is a black death band and a real black death band that has, has at least had some sort of crossover with that scene, yeah. um, and the uh, and yeah, so I've have not heard them in a very long time, Um, and I wanted to check this out. So this is interesting. This is uh, in a time of uh, where there's just a shit ton of, of, I mean, sort of things being generic has plagued war metal from the beginning, right? Uh Um, And we were talking about the last time we talked about this. It's almost like everyone's always like, no, man, listen to this one. It's like war metal, but with good riffs. (laughs) Right, and and I sort of realized, oh God, that's what we all say about the war metal bands we like, and and it's just like it turns out that like you just these you think those are the brawniest goats and the most buxom babe on the cover, (laughs) and that's why you like it. Um, It's uh, um, but like, and we also like, what if the riffs were the problem? Right, was what we were talking about last time. Um, with what was the review again? It was just. Very shrieking noise, war metal. Um, oh, I
0: think we were talking about Vermin Womb.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Vermin Womb. Yes. So successfully non-riff. Well, here's another way out of the problem. This is definitely war metal in general spirit. There is a sort of black metal seriousness to it, an ideological thrust. Um, you know, we've got our our we, we've got Kali on the cover with a bunch of swords, or maybe Shiva. Um,
0: I gotta ask and, about the cover. Why does she have a third leg? Is that a thing?
1: Well, it's uh, it's the you know, it's the old third leg.
0: <laughs> it's
1: um, it's the it's the Kalayuga. Anything can happen. Um, the uh, I don't know. Is there a third leg? I can't yeah, zoom she's in. she's got
0: she's got the one stepping forward, the one behind her, and one like uh, kicked up. I don't know. She's she's
1: head. gotta go fast. Um, <laughs> but the um, but there is uh. But but the basic musical DNA here is very much death thrash, and there's a lot of real death metal on here outside of the kind of old school death outside of the kind of '80s death metal pigeonhole that gets you know usually in this stuff the most death metal you'll get is like possessed uh, altars of madness right mm. um, this is um, on the first couple tracks um, there are some just nasty death totally dissonant death metal tremors. So I think Decapitator has a strong death metal riff. Do you remember that? Neither of us yeah. sampled it, but... But, yeah, there's some just nasty actual death metal riffing here that runs throughout it um, and is an important factor. But I think we would both agree that the basic building block here is thrash, is extreme thrash.
0: Yeah, I definitely... I scanned this as a thrash record before anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um.
1: So, in a sense, that's good because we are then escaped from this weird nowhere land of like plain blast oriented black metal, but you're only allowed to play the four notes lowest on the fretboard mm-hmm. um like we we escape from the kind of like dumbed down blasphemy trap, basically,
0: well, yeah, and that's always mm. the question for anything in the sort of like b- broad war metal milieu is like how how do you how do you articulate the style in a way beyond the the sort of lowest common denominator of, like, fast, noisy, black death grind thrash? You know? Yeah,
1: sounds vaguely like blasphemy, but you're basically playing the worst riff from Panzer Division Marduk over and over again. Yes. <laughs> you know, and what everyone misses about blasphemy, right, is those strange, queasy, disharmonic death metal riffs and the weird vestigial speed battle stuff and all of that, right? Um... So this band is just doing, okay, we want, well, what makes war metal? I guess it's just a very serious thrash, non-goofy thrash, thrash that does the black metal thing. and has has death metal sort of uh, elaboration in it. Um, And, you know, um, you hate thrash, so this was never going to be your favorite. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, You know, I... I like it. I think it's uneven, but I think there's a lot of really good ideas here, Um, and I think this band is very good at thrashing, which I think bodes well for the future. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, what do you make of it?
0: So I I would say I don't like, uh, I don't dislike this record necessarily. I I think moment to moment it's very solid. I've got some sort of like higher level like structural concerns about the way some of these songs are arranged but i think like moment to moment it's solid in all the important departments i mean you know in in terms of executing these sorts of extreme thrash riffs these guys are super capable Uh, it it is appropriately aggressive and gnarly and putrid um it does manage to actually convey some of its sort of like epic aesthetic conceit I guess my thing is just so you're trying to escape the war metal ghetto i guess i see thrash as like kind of a lateral move it's like it's its own kind of ghetto structurally um and i'll be the first to admit that it's one that a lot more most people are willing to dwell in more than i am um it, it, it is a framework of riffing and structure that's just never appealed to me a great deal, but setting that aside, I know these guys are capable with, capable at it.
1: Aside from the fact that Brutal Death Metal is basically thrash.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's thrash that's like three times as fast and complicated. So <laughs> well, well,
1: well, that's the point. It's sort of like, yeah, we both agree, right, that nobody cares about, like, retro thrash or about even about... Um, I saw a shirt a while ago that said the Big Four Slayer 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 Slayer, which yeah. we both certainly agree <laughs> yes, with. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, although I have been listening to Kill 'Em All a lot recently, which if I I've made a on the terminus Spotify, I made a playlist called Metallica parentheses non gay) um, <laughs> and it's, it, it's so uh, I'll be I'll be building that out. But um, but but basically, like I, I've actually been listening to a lot of thrash stuff lately, um, and sort of feeling like. A lot of the stuff I've been enjoying that's new has a, isn't like, you know, this sort of rehashed crap thrash or or what we both agree like the black thrash ghetto right, which oh, is just yeah.
0: which is just horrible, miserable, miserable place to be. Yeah, well, yeah This well, well, in the interest of like trying to articulate my thoughts a little bit better, let's let's get mm-hmm. into samples. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, so one of the things that I'm going to be talking about a fair amount is that some of the tracks on this record are pretty long. Um, there's like about half the tracks on this record are reaching, you know, past the five minute mark, past six, the longest one is upwards of eight minutes, uh, which is an interesting conceit in and of itself is like, okay, so we're going to do music that's built off a foundation of thrash metal, but we're going to expand the parameters of what can happen in that structurally. Um, so here's a part of the record that I really like on the track called Axioms of Domination. So what's interesting is the sort of horizontal structuring uh, of some of these like long, complicated thrash songs. Uh, this is a track where it's, it, it kind of plays a trick on the listener where you're trying to figure out what's the centerpiece riff. And it turns out there really isn't one. All of these riffs that trade off with each other are treated sort of equally within the context of the song. It kind of leaves it without a home base, which is always one of the problems of Thrash. It always, Thrash always just wants to get back to chugging on the opening, you know? This band doesn't let that happen, and the territory that it sends the song into is something a lot more abstract and a lot more like things that I really appreciate in extreme metal. What I enjoy there is the, uh, the sort of, like, shepherd's tone effect of, like, constantly rising tension. Um, mm-hmm. the, they, the, you can see what's being gestured toward. Not, most of the riffs on this record operate within a very traditional sort of death thrash paradigm. Um, however, what, what gives this record a different vibe is the fact that it always kind of resists the urge to conclude it in the traditional way to reach the resolution of those constantly like tension those those tension building ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting conceit. What if you just do songs entirely composed of tension building thrash riffs and you never actually give the release. Well, then you get something that structurally is naturally more like extreme metal.
1: More it doesn't like want to release the metal. tension.
0: Yeah, it doesn't want to release the tension like uh, like a rock song, you know, or like a traditional thrash song. Uh, you know, any other band would probably put sort of like an Angel of Death type breakdown in there or something, or some sort of comfortable point for new riffs to spin off of. They don't do that, and I really appreciate that idea.
1: Okay, well, my next sample goes with that pretty well, too, I think. Um, It's, uh, there is, so this is, I think, like, the best riff sequence on the record. or To even say it's a riff, it kind of parallels my first sample for the, uh, for the cephalic, in a way. Mm -hmm. It's a sort of barnstorming riff section that's, not really reducible to a riff. It ends up being very long melodic phrases that are made of little micro riffs. Um, and it's impossible to count, uh, mm-hmm. or quite difficult to count, which is really unusual in music like this, which is uh, very like four four, 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 oh, Oh, here's the six, eight breakdown. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, it is um and yet it doesn't lose there's no choppiness or momentum break to it it works ex- so th- this is like really skillful riffing um and uh and then the song kind of uh just opens out and uh i think it's kind of digressive and jammy in a ways that you might not like but mm-hmm. i think there's a kind of momentum and skill and aggression that makes them land a lot of these open mid-sections of songs. Basically, a lot of these songs are way longer than you would expect for this genre. This one's six minutes. And there's this kind of this effect of, like, whoa, well, we got through the, like, sick riffs. What else we got to do? Like, this sort of, like, open this kind of sense of possibility and hmm. on some of the songs, it doesn't work as well, but on some songs, it's just like sick. Well, we can do all this and then get back to the main riff. Right. And there's a really cool kind of, um, uh, it's exciting to hear. So, uh, let's, let's, let's get, you'll hear some sick riffs and then you'll hear some just, uh, uh you'll, you'll hear some more open stuff. So one thing I like about this is there's a lot of thrash beats. <laughs> you can have highly, right, with some war me- thrashy war metal, it can be very blast oriented, right? But the entire middle of this track is based on sort of like driving one 2 sort of skank beats or, uh-huh. you know, sort of. Uh, simplified D beats, whatever, right? Um,
0: yeah. And I was I, I was uh, counting off that uh, that weird riff you were talking about. That's that's a pretty interesting arrangement. It's um, it, it, it's hard to pin down because it's so long, but it's actually it's something really simple. It's just a, it's a four bar arrangement, but the first or second bar is in five four. There's just, like, an extra quarter yeah. note inserted in there. That's, oh, okay, that's, that's what it yeah.
1: felt like. there Because it's like, in some way, there's a standard number of reps, but I just couldn't... There's, like, extra quarter notes somewhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's, like, one extra quarter note, and it's, like, it's in bar one or two, but it just throws yeah. off the whole field. That's really neat, though. I like that.
1: Yeah, and then the riff, they, they build on that, they crank it up like a... a, a a couple steps with the following riff that builds on that, but that, that riff's really good, too. Um And, yeah, so here's one of the big influences, right, in terms of, like, extreme thrash bands that are, like, valid for extreme metal bands to draw it, right? Destruction is obviously one of the big ones. Um, yeah, I can definitely I've, see that. I've gone back to the first Destruction record a lot this summer, and it's awesome. Some of those songs are, like... Um, basically are second wave black metal songs, not like mm-hmm. old school black metal. Like I think uh what is it? I think Death Trap is just like on Infernal Overkill, yeah, is base is a second wave black metal song. Highly recommend that one. But like that sort of um squiggly satanic speed metal sound is here, right? But most bands deliver that as a kind of cliche. Um it's at, like at a this, gesture.
0: Especially over the past like five years. That's you know, mm-hmm. I remember when yeah. that shit started to first pop up and it was really exciting, and now it's like already <laughs> been sort of normalized and it, it's already kind of jumped the shark. Yeah, I mean, the these sort guys of dist- do it well, but yeah.
1: Destruction squiggles like, like you can really abuse them. A great example of abusing it is negative plane. Um,. Mm. Which is a band I was really impressed with when it first came out, and then I realized, oh, these are just Destruction Squiggles with a lot of reverb on them, and they just do it over and over again. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, in terms of bands that have that um, archaic sort of black speed metal thing down, I mean, we reviewed the Armaq last, that, those, that band really gets it. Uh-huh. Um but very often it can just become this rehash, just nonsense, gestural, bathory destruction thing. This is not yeah. that. This is using that technique to build real new uh, sort of uh, triumphant barbarian riffing, and that's awesome. Um, well, that's kind of
0: that's kind of an interesting question um, in and of itself. This is something I've been considering a lot lately, just because I've been hmm. I've been playing a lot more guitar than usual over the past couple months. Hmm. Um, You know, it feels to me like in terms of uh, like metal guitarists, there's a couple different basic methodologies. And you Mm -hmm. have uh, like a guy like me is just very melody focused. You know, Mm -hmm. I hear the the melody in my head. I figure out how to execute it from chord to chord and I deliver it that way. And then you have guys that are more idiomatic where it seems structured more based off physical movement. Mm -hmm. and, you know, developing these sort of idiomatic phrases and then working those around a fretboard. Um, And each of them can be very useful and each of them can be very limiting if Mm -hmm. you don't Mm -hmm. try to access other things. I think that one of Mm -hmm. the good things these guys do is that they really kind of consciously execute both. There's Mm -hmm. distinct melodic Mm -hmm. ideas and there's also just distinct sort of very physical idiomatic ones
1: that's that's very good i like that a lot yeah because that first riff is very clearly something that he worked out like over days or weeks right um and yet a lot of the things that follow up on it are very from the gut almost like jamming riffs um yeah and so the middle of the track right is uh they do this kind of like a little bit sort of momentum sinking Mm kind of hop thing but you're allowed to do those once per song (laughs) <laughs> um, and it is kind of like a breakdown thing. And it makes sense. And then they just, they, it it starts ripping. And what they get off to is a, a sort of a, it's like a Misfits punk riff. Something like that. Um, and that sort of fits into that legacy of sort of like... Uh, sort of like D- D- the Detroit metal punk legacy they say like, you know, the, the, the biggest Detroit hardcore band, right. Is negative approach who are one of the most relevant for extreme metal people. And I think misfits were always, I think might've read this in the American hardcore book, but misfits always had a big following in Detroit. And again, they're, they're more of that, of that sort of dark metallic tenor. Um, and, uh, you, you just get some straight-up punky riffing in the middle, but it's, like, crisp and palm-muted, and uh, you could play a riff like that and have it drag, but this one drives. Um, mm-hmm. And then they just throw it into, like, an old-school actual death metal riff. A bit like a sweet death riff, but not with any of the baggage, right? Yeah. Um, It's just, like, you, you keep the punky thing going, but you're just playing atonal trem. Um, and you get some awesome soloing. The soloing's pretty good on this, right?
0: Yeah, and one thing that I appreciate is, like, uh, back in the day, if you saw a thrash song that was five and a half minutes long, um, you knew what that meant. That meant that there was going to be two and a half minutes of just fucking solos. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) These guys are a lot more tasteful with their application of it. They they don't have the tendency to just be, like, trading solo into solo for extended periods. Mm -hmm. They use them as punctuation marks in an effective way.
1: Yeah, and it's a good sort of. It's not just a Kerry King solo. There's a lot more sort of technique no, there, no, but there's,
0: there's meaningful phrasing. In these
1: but things. it has the same kind of explosive energy as the Kerry King or solo does at its best. All right, like or like the Chad version of the Kerry King solo, the discharge solo. <laughs> um, it's which um, it has only one note in it, um, but um, you you can tell these guys listen to. Appreciate shredding guitar technique, but also also appreciate sort of uh, nuclear D-beat noise, and you can hear that in the soloing and in in this kind of stuff they throw in in the middle of the songs.
0: Yeah, uh, and I appreciate that, but that does kind of lead me to, I guess, my central maybe not maybe not even criticism, but kind of question about this record, which is like, so. I appreciate the conceit of having these, like, longer, more elaborate songs, and I appreciate the idea that they're not, you know, just, like, eating up time with sort of, like, meaningless gestures, you know, like, like just constant mm-hmm. solos and stuff like that. However, once you start stretching into that, like, six-minute-plus territory, mm. I, I feel like the expanded palette gets kind of underutilized. Um, There are cool riffs. There are more cool riffs that are fit into that time because they've got more room to explore. But I guess my question is, are, are they adding up to something more substantial than they're doing in the three or four minute songs? Yes, there's more going on naturally. It's structurally more complex. But I don't know if those longer songs are necessarily conveying more meaning than the shorter, punchier ones are. Hmm. Um, and my example of that is probably my favorite song on this record, which is Barbaric Execution. Now, this is one that's on the shorter side. This is um, this is under five minutes, but it's really punchy. It still has that sort of horizontal structuring I was talking about uh, on mm-hmm. my previous sample, but this one's a little bit punchier from riff to riff. So my question is, if they can execute, if, if their strongest song is one of the ones on the shorter side, What can they do to make the longer songs justify their length a little bit more? just far and away my favorite song on the record by like a standard deviation Um, and it's a little bit hard to articulate exactly why but it feels like there's a really concerted effort to so so all of those riffs are sort of like based on basic thrash forms Mm -hmm. but there's a really deliberate effort to like fuck them up you know, to to make them sound weird and off-putting in, like, a real death metal way. And actually, what this really strikes me as, this reminds me a lot of, like, eaten-back-to-life cannibal hmm. corpse. Um, it is that the, That's the first record? Yeah, that's the first record, which you would probably actually get really into. Uh, Hmm. it's it's just super aggressive, it's super thrashy, you know, it's like, you can tell that it's like a thrash record that got tortured into, like, unrecognizability, (laughs) because they just, oh yeah, I
1: remember this cover, yeah, 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 they
0: just made everything way too dissonant and fucking weird, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what I really like about this, is uh, this kind of, this also kind of sounds like the thrashiest parts of, like, goat penis to me. Um, mm, mm. I, I love, the, Oh, I bet
1: these guys, I bet these guys like that.
0: Oh yeah, dude. I, I, I love the, the, the way, you know, because of course, you know, thrash bands will have that, those like dissonant turnarounds at the end mm-hmm. of the rest, but here they're just like brutally atonal and angular. And mm-hmm. I just, I really love the flow of these riffs. Um, this song in particular is the band firing on absolutely all cylinders. If I could get a full record of shit like this, it would be like top 10 of the year for me.
1: Yeah. Well that that's, I I hear what you mean. This is a very concerted, just like, we're going to rip. Yeah. Right. And the way they show the life in those basic phrases is really impressive. There's a lot of like, inflection in the plane that allows them to fuck them up in that way right some of it like on the first riff it's just how he's playing it
0: yeah there's like
1: something slightly uneven in the way that uh each of those little like alternations is done
0: yeah they're really pulling the uh they're they're actually tapping into what makes alters of madness such a weird record
1: mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, so I, I get that the like um, I I think I agree that if you could make a six song six minute song that was this tight that would be awesome. Um, I still think the longer format is refreshing relative to a lot of things in this genre, but I do agree that the place to work towards is filling it in in a more sort of concerted way. Uh-huh. Um, you know, yeah, some of them are uh, some of them are more successful than others, um, but. As far as, here's the most digressive track, right? Unveiling the Primordial is eight minutes. Um, this is kind of like multiple songs in one. And I guess one feeling I have about the long song thing and why they're kind of desultory is I think a lot of these are written to be played live. Mm, yeah. um, and I know that like writing for live, writing for like there's a whole conversation to be had about like writing for playing live. Right? And how that can like affect how a band writes in weird ways, right? But this certainly isn't, there's a whole way that like the more, you know, like the, the longer a Montamarth plays, the more they play to the crowd, right? Yeah. <laughs> or like, and it's not necessarily like, or primordial. Primordial may actually get better through that in some ways, but like, um, this is, these songs are written, I think, to be like, these songs are not written, like in that way, right? The more you play live, the more everything becomes rock and roll. Right. And more predictable and like less, less, less extreme metal. This isn't that. These are more like how can we write extreme metal songs that are just like are filled with events and shit happening for people on the crowd to move to. And so, in a sense, Unveiling the Primordial doesn't really cohere as a single song, but it's just a bunch of cool shit happening. And the whole song feels very dark angel, which I think we should talk about. So, uh, there's basically like two songs there's um uh the the back part of the song is more like the thing you just sampled there's some great sort of like brutal half blasting with these again really basic but well delivered kind of um primitive black death kagomello type riffs um almost it sounds almost like the first track on um uh, uh almost like 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 the first track, Revelation of Doom off of um, Gorgoroth's On the yeah. Sign of Hell. Um, there's some Revelation of Doom shit happening on the back that they pull off really well. Um, however, I'm going to make you guys listen to the weird kind of instrumental thrash suite that opens this. Um, and they really pull it off in part because a good thrash band should be able to just play the open string chug and have it sound fast and cool. And these guys are really good at that. Don't worry, it's gonna warm metal. You, you hear that last riff, but um, yeah, yeah. it's, but the that six eight part is crushing. Um, the guitars are really um the the tone is really designed for these kinds of like searing um, for the sort of searing trim stuff and for palm mutes, uh oh. or like speed metal single string uh you know one note stuff right. So when they actually, like, just crush chords mid-tempo, it sounds way blown out in a way that, like, is too extreme in a good way.
0: Yeah, there's, uh, like, um, there's like, excess reverb for those kinds of riffs.
1: Yes, it, it, they each each chord grinds into the next, and that has the heaviness of the kind of 6-8 stuff on the Hordane's Land split with Emperor and Enslaved. Um... And you also get the, uh, both of them have these kinds of gallops that are like the, ch- it, it's like so early in Black Metal that Black Sabbath is still hanging around in the background. Yeah. And so you get, and like, like probably like Candlemas and shit, but you, you, so you get those sort of like Children of the Grave gallops and they're like fresh, they're being invented right then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this sounds like that. And then in the middle, they do... They do that twice, and in the middle, they actually play something that sounds like a Sabbath riff. Yeah, and you know, I mean, to me, Sabbath is quite hit or miss. I it's one of those things where like some of the songs are obviously genius and have everything that came after them in them, and some of the other ones are just really goofy um, and have nothing to do with extreme metal. But well, like, you
0: don't you don't have a place for blues in your heart. So, well,
1: I you know, it's no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> It's, um, but the, um, yeah, no, I I like, I like the part where it goes like, you know, um, but, um, you, you get this riff that it it sort of has the rhythm of like a War Pigs or Iron Man riff, but it has a little bit more of the sort of epic intervals, um, Mm. It's cool. I don't know. Basically, like, can, can't you hear that as just, like, a really fun thing to hear live? And the basic of it is they're just working it out, and you get this just, like, f- just pedal-to-the-metal thrash part, this sort of big everyone-growls part. Uh, you you get your crushing 6-8, your Sabbath riff, your crushing 6-8, and then suddenly the Black Death starts, and... Um, That, to me, is a song that is written to uh, just, um, you know, to, to crush bottles and spill beer.